Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Canute. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Welcome back to Rex Factor. Rex Factor. Reviewing every king and queen from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth II and deciding which ones have the crucial greatness factor, which we call... The Rex Factor. The Rex Factor. Uh, where are we up to? We are... Oh, you need to go and get your cards. I do, right. And I'll say where we're up to. Yeah. We are... Well, we've just had um, Ethelred the Unready and then his son Edmund Ironside. And under Ethelred, Saxon Legend? Kingdom had... Ethelred, this is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Saxon Kingdom had um, really gone downhill over a 38-year reign, increasing Viking raids, getting to the point at which the Saxons are, well, briefly conquered by Sven Forkbeard, but he dies quickly, Ethelred comes back, and then is beset by more invasions from Canute. But then when Ethelred dies, we have a standoff between Edmund Ironside, the Saxon, and Canute, the Viking, and they have a number of battles before coming together at Assenden in 1016, where... Canute wins, but nevertheless they have a peace treaty, they agree to partition the kingdom, when one of them dies the other inherits the whole thing and unfortunately for Edmund, he dies first so in 1016 Canute becomes king Just a little bit about him first he was born roughly about 995, we're not quite sure so he's the son of Sven Forkbeard and Sigrid the Haughty (laughs) who uh, apparently was the daughter of a Polish king, so he's half Polish Oh, interesting and uh, he is the husband of the 27th great-grand-aunt of Elizabeth II. <laughs> so it's a slightly tenuous link yeah. to the modern day. He's the husband of the 22nd great-grand-aunt. 27th great-grand-aunt. Wow. That's wicked. <laughs> Good knowledge. Um, what does he look like? Well, interestingly, he's sitting in a puddle of water, which you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get to. But uh, he's laughing. Jolly chap. Jolly chap. But... Interestingly, he's the Joker. Indeed. There's only two Jokers in this pack, as usual. Right? <laughs> the other being being a, a George that we'll get on to. But. Well, it's, we'll come to this later, but Canute, if there's one thing Canute is famous for, it's for um, an unsuccessful attempt to command the sea. Well, you've just given away all my knowledge. Well, so the rest of the podcast is going to be you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to that it later. It was unsuccessful. Well, we'll explore it in more detail. Well, of course it was unsuccessful. I mean, there wasn't some natural... Okay, we'll come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> Save it all. Yeah. So, but before we get on to Canute, I thought it might be good, actually, if we go back to our origins. Yep. Not good tea there. Oh, that's awful. That's awful. I'm trying a new tea. It's dreadful. And uh, some backgroundy stuff. Because previously we... All our perspective has been on the Saxons, so even though we have featured the Vikings a lot as invaders, we never really looked at it from their perspective. Yeah. So I thought very quickly, we'll just do a bit of Viking stuff. Okay, because this guy's a Viking, but he's he is a genuine a Viking. king of Britain. He is, okay. and he's the first one, if yeah. we discount Sven, who's only there for yeah. three months. Yeah. Uh, so the Viking as a term is sort of used synonymously with pirate or raider. Yes. And it's used to describe anybody from sort of modern-day Scandinavia, so Denmark, Sweden, Norway... And we're in what's generally termed the Viking Age, i.e. the period at which they were going off, doing their raiding, being all-powerful and warrior-like. Mm. So that's pro- from 793 when they attacked Lindisfarne to 1066 and the Battle that's of Hastings. That's the Viking Age. That's the Viking 793, Age. 793, 1066. Yeah. Cause, but they're starting to settle here as well, because we've got the uh, Normans around. 
Yeah, well, it's because the Normans are one of the many people who actually are descended yeah. from okay. Vikings. So they expanded everywhere, and the reasons for this, because we never look at this so much, we just say, oh, the Vikings are invading. Yeah. Why are they invading? Many theories. I've got one. Yep. No fields. Indeed. Yeah. A bit of a problem. It was partly no fields, but it's because they've got lots of trees. Mm. And a oh. lot of trees and woodland. Mm. And deforestation would be a lot more tricky and arduous than just going and raiding some puny Saxons. With boats they've made from their trees. Indeed. Easy. Also, Charlemagne gets uh, mo- uh, moaned out. He was this Christian leader who was apparently very anti-pagan, so they got a bit of a kicking from him, so they went elsewhere to see where they could get some goods. Why was he able to do so well? He was a very powerful European... But uh, he, he had the resource behind him to yeah. kick off. Yeah. Mm. And also the decline of old trade routes sort of back from the Roman period, so they were not as good as they were, so they had to look in new places to uh, right. do that. Because they're big traders, so they expanded all across the world. So Ireland, they established permanent bases, particularly Dublin, yeah. the Viking kingdom that they set up. Um, Normandy, as we said, that means the Northmen, i.e. Vikings. Yeah. And they discovered lots of places. They discovered Iceland, Greenland, and... North America. North America. So you knew more than I I've got, I've got it, it's all up there. So it's in 986, Leif Erikson. They actually had a little colony there called Vinland. Really? Which they tried. Yes, yeah, so I think Iceland or maybe Greenland was their base. And they did set up, but they got a bit of trouble from the Native Americans. Yeah. And unlike the British, decided this meant they should probably just head back home <laughs> rather than exterminate yeah. the Native populace. Wow, that's an image that you'd only imagine in like Bill and Ted or something, a Viking running amok against, with some Indians <laughs> yeah. in North America. That's amazing. And culturally, they didn't wear horned helmets, nope. didn't drink out of skulls, were initially pagans, so you have all these gods like Thor and the sort of heaven of Valhalla, but from the 10th century they're becoming more Christianised. And significantly called them the Saxons. Well, I, I, I've, I've heard <laughs> a lot, but one thing I'm still... Sticking by, significantly cooler. And also their histories, partly the reason their histories are written as sagas rather than mm. just chronicles. So mm. it's all a lot of poetic licence. Mm. So it's trickier to know exactly what happened, but everything that happens is very colourful yeah. and vivid. And as I say, they're global traders, so they go Europe, Byzantium, North Africa, the Middle East, ah, America, now, everywhere. The, uh, the Emperor of Constantinople, mm-hmm. Byzantine Emperor, his bodyguard was made up of Vikings, oh. yeah, because yeah, they went down the um, uh, down the, all down the rivers into the Black Sea. Mm. So sort of popped out and went right. What have we got? And yeah, hired. And they're amazing. And the main reason, and this is actually something we should have reflected on earlier, when you've complained about all these kings like Edgar, uh. who didn't go and invade everywhere and yeah. become an emperor. The Vikings are amazing shipbuilders and craftsmen. Yeah, and the Saxons just don't possess the ships capable of doing this. Other than our man. Uh, what was his name? Edgar. Edgar, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they possessed ships that could patrol the country and yeah. the islands. Coastal, but not ocean. Coastal, but they yeah. couldn't go off to America, which is phenomenal. You think it's another 500 years before Columbus yeah. finds this, but the Vikings have already got ships that can get to America. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty impressive. So they're very good craftsmen. They had lots of other things as well, weapons, jewellery, etc. They're quite a cultured bunch. Yeah. But they, so you say there's there's two terms in there. They're Vikings when they're raiding. Other hmm. at other times they're Danes. They're known as well. Trading. There were also the different kingdoms within there. So you've got Denmark, you've got yeah. Norway okay. and Sweden. They are separate North entities North. at this yeah. time. So there's a lot of infighting as well. So that's why sometimes they'll deal with a Viking and then another one will come along. Is because they're not all the same. Right. So Viking is a broad term. Era one to the Vikings. Indeed. Is, yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, so from the 793, the attack in Lindisfarne, from that point on, the Vikings started to attack and settle in England. Mm. And as we saw, it was getting to the point where they were very nearly actually conquering until Alfred, at the point of almost com- complete defeat, saved the day at Athel, not Athelney, that was where his little bog was, at Eddington in 878. Mm. And then him and all his... Uh, successors, as we've seen in Rex Factor, pushed them back. Yeah, but the AT. Indeed. But they've still got this sort of territory called the Danelaw, which is sort of largely East Midlands, that North, sort of northern yeah. bit, particularly yeah. York, which is Jorvik as the centre of it. Yeah. But then, as we've already seen, Ethel ready, the unready, the Vikings are coming back, more powerful. Sven Forkbeard does a bit of conquering, but stays away. But then Canute comes along, and then finally Canute has conquered England, he's defeated Edmund. The he's Vikings the are in charge. Here he is. So, here's Canute. Canute. Let's go. So, as we said, he fights Ethelred, he fights Edmund, takes the throne. Um, but he's quite careful about how he does this, so it's very different to the Norman conquest in 1066. So, rather than just the Vikings piling in, killing everybody, and just stamping their authority, he's quite keen to get everybody on side. Clever. So, like all the Saxon kings, he's voted by the Witan, which is that council, yeah. who technically always elect the king. Yeah. He doesn't just totally... The, we turn the, Sa- the Saxon yeah. council. Right. Yeah, so the Saxon council elect him. Um, as ever, he knows his Saxons. He focuses on coins. Mm. So he makes sure that he's on his coin. But he's the first king who wears a crown on the coin for quite a while, which suggests, again, that he's quite... We keen. had that in the past. Yeah, we had kings wearing crowns mm. for the first time. He's oh, one right. of the first for a while who has the crown on the coin. Yeah. Because I guess he felt that he needs to really, yeah, really emphasise, yeah, exactly. I am king. Initially, he's fairly harsh, so he splits the kingdom into four big areas, so East Anglia, Mercia, Northumbria, and Wessex, and he splits them up amongst his supporters. So East Anglia, there's a chap called Thorkel the Tall. Uh, Mercia, Edric Striona, as we remember, who doesn't last long, but he's in charge of Mercia. Eric of Halthir in Northumbria, and then Canute takes Wessex for himself as the sort of heartland. Because significant, isn't it? Indeed. And he starts off, he executes quite a lot of his rivals, said to have loved those who supported Edmund, but there have been lots of people doing betrayals. What, what, he time. liked Edmund? He, he really liked him. and respected Edmund, and he didn't like the people who had fought for Edmund and then deserted to Canute. And he thought they're the ones who the other it. way, so he executed quite a lot of people, such as Edric Striona. Excellent. Uh, exiles um, the younger royal children, and still there's a bit of Danegale payments, because he's got his big army that he's got to deal with. So there's a £72,000 Danegale to pay off his army, and then another 11000 for London to have a peaceful submission without any fighting. Pay off his army? Because he's got to send them back home, and they've been fighting for him, so he's got to pay them. Right. So he taxes yeah. the country okay. to pay for his army. But then he's focuses a bit more on sort of reconciliation with the Saxons. So he marries, do you remember Emma, who is the wife of Ethelred, the second wife of Ethelred? Right, yeah. Yeah. And she had some children by him, stepmother to Edmund Ironside. Marries her, um, and they have a bit of a compromise. So Emma relinquishes the claims of the children that she had by Ethelred. But in return, Canute acknowledges that any sons that they have will be his legitimate heir. Uh, right. So, a bit of a compromise. It's a marriage of love, then. Well, and it gives Emma a bit of a steely reputation on the continent, the fact that she seems to abandon. yeah. yeah. Her children. And it's very astute for Canute because it means he's got a link to the Anglo-Saxons because she's been queen for about ten years. A link to Normandy, where he's got quite a few problems because she is from Normandy originally. And also reduces the power of some of Emma's children. So it's quite a canny bit of marrying. But he still thought he could hold back the tithe. Well, we'll come (laughs) there. 
Um, so he does more things. In 1017 or 18, he holds some, a thing called a thing. What? It's a Viking thing, and it's <laughs> called a thing. It's a Viking thing. A thing, indeed. Um, it's where they have, after they've had a big conflict, they have this big meeting where everybody comes together and they sort of put their old things aside. And is that where we get the word forward. thing from? Or is it just... Because if you think of the word thing on its own, it's quite a sort of uh, Saxon or Viking ne- uh, word. Well, we get thousands of words from Vikings, including one of your favourites, egg. Egg. It's a Viking really? word. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. but the thing is a Viking so word. It doesn't mean they just couldn't come up with a name for it. No. <laughs> it was originally, this is what a thing was. Yeah. It was a thing. So after they had a lot of bloodshed, they come together and they make peace. And he declared he'd uphold the laws of Edgar the Peaceable. So again, he's keeping it fairly Saxon. Um, dismisses most of his army, and he only keeps 40 ships. That means that there isn't this sort of conquering standing army in England like there was with the Normans. Mm-hmm. And then he, the Saxons come to be quite a big part of his government. So Emma, although he said it's a political marriage, but actually they seem to have got on genuinely quite well. So she becomes quite a trusted advisor for him. Um, and also she knows how to do things with the Saxon as well. But he trusts her, so when he goes abroad... He sometimes leaves her as regent. So they did have quite a good relationship. There's also the Archbishop of York, who was called Wolfstan, who was this very old chap, but very highly respected, and he had a major influence on uh, the young Canute. Because Canute's only about 1920 or so when he becomes king. Really? Yeah. And he's conquered the country. It's not bad going. And a chap called Godwin. He sounds Saxon. He is Saxon, though he's married to a Dane. He is uh, the father, as we see later, of Harold Godwinson, who is Harold II of... Oh, of the Arrow fame. 1066 fame, yes. Um, and he comes to prominence under Canute, marries his sister-in-law and becomes very powerful, particularly after um, Thorkel and Wolfstan die, so he becomes the Earl of Wessex. So we see that Saxons are quite prominent. Yeah, so but he doesn't want any trouble. He just wants no. to be king and get on with things. Yeah, and he's, quite, he's got a very good relationship with the church, so people are quite liking him. So once he's got that settled down... He focuses outwards, away from England. It's all going his way then. So England, full stop. England's done. His brother, his older brother, Harold II, who's king of Denmark, dies and doesn't have an heir. So Canute pops off to Denmark, justifies to England that he's going to be protecting them from potential invaders. But what actually he does is uh, ensures that he gets the kingdom of Denmark as well. Yeah, they must have seen that coming. So he's now king of Denmark and England. But... Is he upholding Dane law? Is he just? Is he just? Is he trying to be a Saxon king in that he's respecting all the same laws? All the same laws. What Edgar did was that he sort of said, in the Dane law, you can kind of do your own yeah. Vikingy thing, and in the South, we'll do our Saxony thing. Yeah, just respects the difference, but there's a. And that's what um, Canute's upholding. Yeah. So the North is Danish mm. in law. They're wearing funny helmets and drinking out skulls. <laughs> yes. Fact. Um, Primarily because that's where that's just where people live. Up north, they're more Danish. Mm. Okay, right. So yeah, so he's now got the uh, Danish throne as well as the English. He then goes off and secures the Norwegian throne through partly fighting and a bit of bribery. We'll come back to that later in battleiness and part of Sweden. Wow. So he's now got a North Sea Empire. I was just about to call it that. Is that what it's called? Yes, ah. North Sea Empire. Blimey. That's cool. Yeah, That's so he's got an cool. empire. And like um, Henry II later, he tries to use his children to maintain the empire, so he sort of gives different ones. Yeah, uh, like the Tetrarchy or whatever it's called in yeah. Rome. Although, well, as you say, that never works. No. But anyway, but England's still the jewel in the crown. That's where he lives. That's his main residence. That's where he always comes back to. And is there anywhere, or is it a travelling court? Is there any capital? Um, yeah, it's travelling again. Yeah. We 
Wessex still is kind of oh, the yeah. heartland, but he moves about. Normandy's a bit of a problem for him. Initially, they were sympathetic because he marries Emma, but he had quite a poor reputation on the comp- uh, continent. And while initially he was able to improve it, like Emma suggested that he should give a donation when this French cathedral um, has like falls down or gets burned mm. down or something. And they were said to be amazed that this sort of pagan Viking, not that he was pagan, but they saw him that way, but what is would Christian? help out. He's a Christian, he is indeed. That's but why the Saxons like him, because the church is very pro-church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, but they just him. can't see past the, his yeah. ethnicity. Yeah, yeah. Well, they think he's a barbarian, because yeah. he's a Viking. Yeah. But he's gradually impressing them, but um, he marries his sister Estrith to Robert, who's the Duke of Normandy, but they don't get on very well. He just divorces her, accuses her of adultery or something, and she... Her innocence is proven through combat. Someone has to fight for her and wins. Wow. But nevertheless, that's not a good sign for the marriage. You're on rocky no. roads if you're requiring someone to fight to it's the death. Not, it's not back home for tea and biscuits. Not good. It? And then when the Duke Robert dies in 1035, he leaves the duchy to his bastard son, William. That's no way to call William. Well, he is. Yeah. He was known as William the Bastard before. Oh, this William, William yes. Oh, yes, yeah, that's yeah. what he is. And he was only eight years old. So, but that's quite good for Canute because that means the Normans aren't as powerful as they were. So the, here we are. Chance. We've got our first mention of, of William. Of William. Okay, yeah. and this is and what relation is he to Canute? Oh well, he Emma is his grand aunt, so he is the husband of the grand aunt. And this is around ten six. This is ten. Well, it's ten thirty five when William becomes the Duke of Normandy. Okay, so he's quite old. Okay, yeah, right, Canute though. Yes, Canute. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, 1035 is when Canute dies. Apparently, he suffered from an illness in his later years, which saw his empire coming under threat because he wasn't able to go out and patrol it quite as well. So he dies in 1035, about 40 years old, and is buried in Winchester, like a good Saxon king. Yeah, yeah. Well, he yeah. tried, didn't he? He really did. He really did. And that is, uh, that's the overview of Canute. But where's the tide, then? Where's the tide? We'll come to that oh. in subjectivity. <laughs> okay. I'll save some of it for okay. uh, yeah, let's a bit do more section by section. Let's do these factors. Then. Let's get let's on to it. Battleiness. So we give uh, each one, we each give a score of 10, add it up. Yep. Battleiness. We've got conquering England. He's doing brilliantly there. Although, you know, you're s- obviously you still miss Edmund Ironside. I do, I do. But Canute, but... in all credit to him, he beats Edmund Ironside at the Battle of Assendon. He, you know, he... This great warrior Edmund is defeated by this young. And they had an Viking. agreement as just who would die first. Yeah. And so he just held out. Indeed. Mm. So and this is in fact, we forget the Viking conquest because it doesn't last very long and the normal conquest is so much more yeah. of an impact. But this is the first real all out conquest since the Romans in like forty three AD and Claudius. Yeah, that's true. Obviously we've had foreign influences like the Saxons are actually Originally, obviously, for sort of from which Germany, is, but they hadn't done it in one all-out invasion, which no, is what it was a, does. Yeah, it was a, a sort of a um, breeding thing. Yeah. Whereas that's as impressive as the 1066 record, if you like, in that mm. we haven't been invaded successfully for nearly a thousand years. Yeah. Or 950 years. And that's the same period of time. Pretty much, yeah. When did he become king? 1016. He became king 1016. And from 43 AD. Yeah. That's the same period of time. Yeah. Blimey. Someone just needs to invade us now. And yeah, which which you're in invasion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Blimey, that's worrying, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, crumbs. Okay. Well, well done. On that bombshell. Yeah. And, and then he defends England as well. So 1018, apparently there was a crew of 30 pirate vessels that came towards England, but he takes his navy, takes them out, yeah, takes them out. pushes them away, which is what we saw that Ethelred wasn't able to do when the navy had Where are these pirates from? Away. 
Uh, well, from Scandinavia, but the, as I said, the uh, problem is they're not all the same yes, all Vikings, the same. so they're not his I only ask, because I did some research for no apparent reason on Lundy Island. On this? I, no, no. <laughs> I had time to get I wasn't working. Um, on Lundy Island, off the coast of Cornwall mm. or um, Pembrokeshire, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, and that was apparently a base for Barbary pirates from North Africa. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. I think if that they conquer the kingdom, we look at it a bit more. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, well yeah, we'll look at that in about seventeen something then, yeah. when it happened. Um, he skews the Danish throne, didn't have to fight for it, but he still got it. Yeah, which yeah, which is good. And then Norway in 1028, he drives out King Olaf. He builds a massive navy, goes off with his son Harald Knuts, mm. who we'll come to later. Didn't actually have to fight a battle. Apparently, he's more sort of spies, bribery meant that the support for the local king fell away, but he had a huge showing of force, which like, is why he was able to back it up. Like FIFA. Like FIFA. Like the Russian bid. Oh, FIFA, yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> in a huge show of force. Indeed. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so he's got Norway, um, sets up his son Sven and his, well, we'll come to this, his sort of first wife, Elgifu, as regents, um, who proved to be quite unpopular, so they get thrown out in 1035, but that's not really his fault. Where's that? Norway. <clears throat> Norway. Yeah. But he'd conquered it himself and part of Sweden it's literally that is how he's known as king of part of Sweden really? so he fights some battle there at a place called Holy River and is thought to have a, a little bit of control there Right. Okay. so he's conquered England Norway, Sweden takes Denmark, he also achieves the submission of Scotland so these chieftains Malcolm, Earmark and Mile Beth who was probably Macbeth ah, real life Macbeth, this yeah. is getting to the period of the real life Macbeth mm. And, yeah, so he's got Scotland as Smith's to him as well. The only things that I'll hold against him, one is that the Empire starts to be crumbling a bit as he's dying, partly because he's not able to defend it, partly because his sons aren't doing as good a job. Yeah. And the other thing is he's banned berserking as a practice. Oh, that's... No, he's, <laughs> I, I love berserkers. That's a real shame. Berserkers, you remember, is where they... I don't know, they lick a toad or something. <laughs> everything Magic goes purple and, yeah. and then they just run off madly and... Naked. Naked and just and kill just everything kill. coming. I think probably the reason he got rid of it, I Health guess... Health and safety? Well, I imagine it probably wasn't a very effective battle tactic when they're a bit more of a, an army and a conquering force. Rather yeah, than yeah. just the raiding they used to do, yeah. where it was sort of terror tactics, he's maybe need to be a bit more structured and strategy. And if his people just go mad and run off yeah. it might not work as well so mm. I think it's not because he's uh, a prude so much as it wasn't helpful don't know anyway he's lost points already uh, but that's battliness he's got an empire he's got an empire you've been waiting for a while you want a, ma- a king with his sword held aloft yeah. and invading and that's what he's done and he has he has but no key battle though, no big battle well Assenden 1016 when he defeats Edmund yeah okay and effectively conquers England yeah yeah no it's good it's good but it's like a company, you know, like, what's going to happen to Virgin when um, Richard Branson cops it? You need to yeah. it, rule him by charisma. But I think you need apart. to credit Richard Branson for... Doing it in the first place. Yeah, first you place. do. You do. Um, pretty good. Pretty good. So a score. We, what are other scores here? Oh, well, our top score is Athelstan, who just went off and conquered the whole of uh, yeah, England. Yeah, he did. He did After that, well. we've got Edward the Elder, who did a lot of fighting, and Edmund Ironside, who was Legend. good in battle, but lost to Canute. Still better than Canute. <laughs> Even though he lost to him. <laughs> still better. Um, Can't drink yeah. at the same time. Okay, yes, yeah. Uh, well, it's good. He's got an empire. That's got to count. That's got to count. It's got to count. I would give him eight. 
Mm. I'm taking one off. For the Berserking. Yeah. I'm going to give him seven and a half. Because although he does have a proper big battle, it's not quite as big all-conquering fighting warrior mm. as it sounds when you hear yeah. about his empire. But he still gets his empire, and he's got a show of force... Which means he doesn't have to fight because he's got the force, but unlike Edgar, he doesn't just sit with it. He does actually take it out and say, I'm going to destroy you if you yeah. don't submit. So it is a bit more using it. But it's not, he's, you know, he's no, I mean, I know we're not covering this, but it's not he's Alexander, no Alexander the, the Yeah, where he's fighting <laughs> every front and just relentlessly moving forward. Yeah. I'm going down to six. I'm going down to six. I had seven. That's where I was. One for Berserkness. I'm going six. Well, that's 13 and a half in total then, which is the same as the man he defeated, Edmund Ironside. Yes! See, it's level pegging, but Second... Ironside's just better, so he's got the edge. <laughs> Except for every other category, yeah, I fear. Exactly. Scandal. Right, scandal. Um, quote from Michael Wood here. Mm-hmm. Canute was a man to fear, a man who cut off ears and noses for no reason, killed Ethelred's child, Edwig, and executed all the major secular leaders he did not trust. I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't look very good. He is quite brutal. He is quite brutal. So Edric Striona, we remember, didn't last very long. But he was one. He was a protecting Mercia. He was briefly, but can you obviously decide he couldn't trust him? Yeah, fair enough. Had I him didn't killed. like him anyway. Well, no. In the chronicles, I um, love talking about it. So there's <laughs> stories about how uh, Canute did it. So there's one which said, "Pay this man what we owe him. That is to say, kill him, lest he pay us false." <laughs> Or when Ed, um, Edric said, I killed Edmund for you, that's got to count for something. And then he apparently said, For this deed I will exalt you as it merits, higher than all the nobles of England, i.e. he put his head on a spike. Not sure can you actually oh, said yeah, it. No, this, this was it. Yeah, when they were playing chess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he said to have killed a great many people, although, as we also said earlier, these are people that had betrayed Edmund or people he didn't feel he could trust. Mm. With the exception of Edwig, who was the last son of Ethelred's first marriage, so the younger brother of Edmund Ironside. He had to go, though. He's kicking around, and he kills him off. Yeah, but he had to go. I mean, that's what happens this time. Yeah. Makes if sense. you're going to kill anyone in the country, he'd be <coughs> top of the list. Because he's obvious rival for yeah. the throne. He'd be the ace of spades in George Bush's pack. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> However, there's one more bit of scandal, besides just killing off people that he's rival with. He is a bigamist. Fair enough. <laughs> we've all, we've, all, <laughs> we've been all been there come on because in sometime in 1014 he married a woman called Elgafu of Northampton I've heard of her good no from you oh, isn't it? Uh, it has she come up there have been a lot of Elgafus okay, right. this one's Elgafu of Northampton after the conquest he marries Emma in 1017 but he doesn't really do anything to actually get rid of Elgafu and divorce her and in fact she's still in the country she's still given land and power and he's still using her. So actually he sends her and one of um, her sons with Canute Sven off to Norway to be regents there. So she's actually properly being treated as yeah. another wife. And the church doesn't approve no, of yeah, this. Really... And it gets commented upon. Yeah. And there are laws which say things about this yeah. is not a good thing. Do mm. not follow this example. So, yeah, so that's it's pretty scandalous. It's it pretty scandalous. Yeah. It's not just that he's taken one, got rid of her, brought another one in. He's just got two. I mean, I, I mean that is scandalous. I mean that's registering on the scandal <laughs> in my head, but it's not. It's only twitching. It's not. Doing yeah, it's that. not raging scandal. No. But so he's killing lots of people, um, kills off one of the other princes, and he's a bigamist. And he's killing people because he's out of um, out of out of mistrust. This um, yeah, like he he has great respect for this Edmund chap. Mm. 
I mean, these aren't excuses. Please don't go off <laughs> out of some weird respect, like some gangland leader. But, you know, there's some misguided sense of honour there. Yeah. It's, it's tactical. It's yeah. tactical. Yeah. It's not just a madman. No. I mean, three? Well, I'm going to give him more than that. I'm going to give him a five, I think. Okay. Where does that leave him? That gives him an eight. Uh, That's which, at Athelstan. Yeah, it's it's sort of fairly fairly average. Yeah, fairly average. Eight for scandal. Subjectivity. This is we think we've had Ethelred, where all the Viking raids, the raping, the pillaging, the murdering, mm. the invasion under Edmund. Also, lots of noble leaders killed. Edmund dies ultimately, and the cu- country is conquered by the Vikings. Under Canute, it's pretty peaceful and pretty stable, and just expanding. And just expanding, and they don't have to worry too much. So there are some law codes, which is very influenced by that Archbishop of York, Wolstan. Secular and ecclesiastical law, though both stressing Christian values, probably because they feared that with Vikings in charge, they'd become pagans or Mm. something. Um, So lots of things about trading, hunting, non-religious work, getting banned on Sundays, which is kind of what had been done before. Uh, The limited rights of free women were respected. So women, widows were not to be immured in convents too hastily. And widows and maidens were not to be forced to marry a man that she disliked. Ah, that's quite forward-thinking, I suppose. On the other hand, with adultery, men were to be criticised, particularly <laughs> if it was with a nun, <laughs> whereas women were to become a public disgrace and to forfeit her nose and ears. So still an imbalance, yeah, an imbalance in the gender really, stakes. And he's, wow, criticised. Christ, poor, poor, <laughs> poor bloke. Indeed. <laughs> oh, thank God we live in more enlightened yeah, times. Yeah, um, as we also said before, very good relations with the church. Um, it's hard to know whether this was because he was genuinely pious or just because he was being shrewd. I'd say shrewd, and I like that. Either way, it means that he gets a very good write-up. In mm. 1027, he goes on a pilgrimage to Rome, mm. echoing what Alfred did as a young boy, uh, bestowing lots of gifts to various churches along the way, coincides with the coronation of Conrad II, mm. Pope, um, and he arranges a marriage between Conrad's son and Canute's daughter. Which well, is a, a big diplomatic success. The Vikings, these barbarians, are now married into the the, the, the papal family. Yeah, they're like the the structure underpinning all <laughs> yes. all royal families across Europe. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, despite the murders, despite the bigamy, he gets loads of praise from the church. So he's they actually, love him. yeah, he and he's properly recognised as this North Sea emperor. Yeah. The top left hand mm. side of Europe, he's a man. Yeah. And as Michael Wood again says, people like Alfred are quite rare in terms of this intellectual, really pious thinking kind of king. Usually, yeah. church leaders are just happy if someone gives them just a showing yeah. of piety. So for Canute, it's pretty, pretty good for the pretty church. Going, They're happy yeah. with it. And this, I think, subjectivity is a good time to come to the sea. Mm. The sea incident. Oh, brilliant. Yes, now, I've got a picture of this. I got this from uh, an antiques there in uh, the Peak District. Oh, yeah. 50p, which depicts... The incident. Now that looks very Victorian to me. It is. It's from some boys' own magazine. What does it show? Well, we've got what looks like the Emperor of Byzantium. Canute. <laughs> holding back um, a little ripple. Well, looking, trying to, anyway. He's going, stop, please, please. But it's not, not working. So he's sat down, he's on the beach, all his people are around him. And he's trying to make the sea go out. No one's looking very impressed. No one's looking very impressed. Because what is generally told is that Canute thought he was all-powerful, could stop the tide coming in, so he went to the sea and said, I demand that you do not come in. And obviously, being the sea, 
being the tide, it does come in and he gets wet and looks silly. Is that it? That's the famous story. Right. Okay. That he looks stupid. That's why he's the Joker in our card. Oh, okay. Right. However, the other way of looking at this is actually it's about a tale about wisdom. Because his courtiers allegedly were fawning over him and saying, oh, you're so powerful, you could do anything. I bet if you commanded the sea, it would take your order. Yeah. So to prove them wrong, he goes out into the sea, demands that it goes back, and it doesn't. And he says, ah, you've learned a valuable lesson today. So and then he takes off his crown, puts it in a church on a cross, and never wears it again to demonstrate, you know, we are not at the top of the level. We are below God. Where, where are the sources for those two? Which one is more credible? Well, there are no real sources. That is just different stories. David Mitchell, the comedian, um, has done... He does this thing, a soapbox podcast where he does like yeah, a five-minute yeah. thing. One of them was on Canute and this incident, which I'll put a link to on the website. Uh, his theory was, firstly, it never happened. Yeah. Like none of any of these yeah. things. And secondly, he suspects that actually Canute and his advisors probably both thought that he might do it. And then when he realised he couldn't, he improvised and went, aha, yeah, yeah, yeah. you see. Yeah. Brilliantly, on Saturday, 27th of November, not too long ago, Tom York of Radiohead yeah. organised this thing where thousands of people formed a human statue of Canute trying to push out the sea. Why did he do that? It was photographed from above and it was from some environmental thing to raise awareness about. Oh, know, trying to stop the sea, yeah. And stuff. Clever, yeah. So he's, he's been in the press recently. Yeah. Anyway, but if Tom York likes him, that's pretty good. As then. subjectivity, we presume it to be a wise thing that he's demonstrating he is not all powerful. Yeah. Certainly the thing about the crown putting it in the church yeah. is something he did. That's reported in sources. Adding some weight to it. I mean, adding some weight to the idea that he's, he's a wise chap mm. and so doesn't want to create poor, poor conditions for his subjects to yeah. live in. He atones for past ill, so the thing at Oxford, that was to bring people in and say, let's get past all that raping and pillaging that we did yeah. um, there's a chap called St Elf here who is this Archbishop of Canterbury who was murdered by the Vikings um, whilst Ethelred was king mm. so that was under Sven's orders ish. Um, on Emma's advice he transferred his bones from London where they'd been this sort of beacon for discontent with the Vikings and took them to Canterbury which had been unhappy but was now happy because it had a saint that had been consecrated there. What was London kicking off about? It's got they were kicking of off because yeah. they got the bones, but they sort of saw it as a focal point of rebellion, almost, or anger. So look what they did to this saint. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas Canterbury were like, hey, we've got a saint now. Mm. And it became a pilgrimage route. So before Beckett, Thomas Beckett, got uh, buried there, that was the sort of main reason for oh, right. pilgrimage route there? to Canterbury. Uh, I think he is, but nobody nobody cares anymore. No, they've got built, Beckett, they? Yeah, built a church um, near the site of the Battle of Assendon. Mm-hmm. In Make commemoration, yeah. and as I think we said last time, he put peacock designs on Edward Edmund Ironside's tomb to help him ascend to heaven. Ascend to oh, heaven. That's lovely. Weaknesses in subjectivity, very heavy taxation, sort of throughout the reign, which was sort of taxing and spending so that he could aid his foreign ventures to build his empire. Yeah, didn't really see the benefit in England of this. Killings of powerful figures. Ruled well, but for the long-term future, he set up these very powerful earls like Godwin who would destabilise the country in years to come. Mm-hmm. But under him, pretty stable. Yeah, and you've got to pay for stability. I mean, you get what you pay for. Exactly. So that subjectivity, what do we think? What's the score for subjectivity? It's pretty high. I mean, it, there's no... He's just bu- he's building on what was already there, but I think it's... It's a good score in subjectivity. But it had been absent for quite a while. You think with Ethelred, 38 years, Edward the Martyr before that, Edmund the Ironside had obviously just been fighting battles. So it's been a while since the Saxons have actually enjoyed what... 
period of, of done a period before. of calm. Mm. But I think it was his, it was wise of him when invading not to just go in all guns and trying to set up Daenor all over yeah. the place, and which would have been, yeah, which would be much more difficult to build a peaceful reign on top of. So mm. really, really jolly good. Yeah, seven. Yeah, I think that's I think that's seven as well. It's fourteen. I mean, how could you get better? Actually, well, I mean, we had Alfred who taught himself to read. Latin, so he could transcribe works okay, for his yeah. people and all these sorts of things. Yeah, uh, yeah. Other people done stuff. He didn't do anything radically innovative. No, he just, which would have taken him above to the very yeah. high scores. But he does and very he, well, and has, it gives him a period of, of as you say, of, of peace and stuff that hadn't yeah. seen for a while. So yeah, seven. That's good. Fourteen for subjectivity. Very good. That's one of our highest scores. Second highest. Isn't yeah, it? just behind uh, Athelstan and Af- Alfred. Third highest. Oh, third highest. Level sorry. with Edgar the Peaceable. Yeah. Longevity. Long, uh, fairly long one actually. Longevity, eighteen years. It's good. It's pretty good. Though he's still relatively young at forty, but eighteen is pretty good. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, he's actually eighteen days away from nineteen years. Oh, can we call it nineteen? We years? probably should just call it nineteen because I said some of these people might actually be closer to one year than another year. Yeah. So I might relook at it. So yeah. if we give him nineteen, yeah, I think that's fair enough. So nineteen years. We can do it by the month, like nine or eighteen point. Nine or whatever. Yeah. But well, anyway, nineteen anyway, years. Nineteen, very good score mm. for longevity. Dynasty, not the program. This isn't too bad either. Four children. Wait, well, two by each. Two by each. Well, yeah, literally. Mm. So by Elgafood Northampton, he has Sven and Harold, mm. the two sons. Harold, Harold, Harold the first, as we will see. What's which one's the Harold Han the Kirtlesman? Um, no, no, we've got Harold. Well, hang on. Okay. <laughs> Elgafur, Northampton, Sven and Harold. Mm. Under Emma, he has Hartha Canute. That's the one, yeah. And Gunhilda, who okay. is his daughter, obviously. Okay. So, four children. Interesting, though, in terms of dynasty, he, we have something sort of Cold War-style thing with the mothers. So, Elgafur and Emma are fighting each other to get mm. dominance for their sons in terms of who's going to be but king Emma's, afterwards. We've had Emma agree, haven't we? We've had Emma agree, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to win. No. So, um, yeah, so they're vying for succession at the moment, and he doesn't make it clear exactly what he wants to happen. Or oh, that would have taken some points of subjectivity. Well, I mean, it doesn't cause great okay. issues like Edward the Confessor. I suppose it's going to be one of his dynasties, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's got plenty of sons. It's not like there's no obvious heir. Yeah. He's got sons. Uh, so, yeah, four for dynasty. Pretty good. But now we come to our last consideration. Does he have that element of greatness, that's extra something special to take him to what we call... Rex Factor! Really tricky, this one. I mean, sword aloft, he's got an empire, he's there for 19 years, he conquers the country, the first person to do it, if we ignore Sven, for 900-odd years. And he's a Viking. He's a Viking, you love Vikings. Um... The reason possibly why he doesn't have the same level of awe about him that William does is that the Viking rule doesn't last that long after him. And then the Norman conquest comes along afterwards and kind of overshadows it. So it does get overshadowed. And there aren't as many sources as the way you think the Norman conquest. We've got the Bayeux Tapestry. There's nothing like that for the Vikings. So he's maybe been undersold a bit. I think he as well, if if you're the start of a really long dynasty, Mm. say you're the first Plantagenet or something, yeah. You're going to be bigged up mm. for centuries to come. Yeah. If you've won a great battle, and so I mean, if this if this was the start of a long line, I think he would definitely have it. And I think I've just you know we've been 
indoctrinated by uh, or brainwashed by, by about Harold yeah. and William and this this chap yeah he's already done it but does that mean he doesn't have it I mean is the, is the idea that we've got to we've got to we have got to be objective and actually you know say for whether these people do have them rather than just reinforcing the idea that the certain kings yeah. have Rex Factor and we've been you know we've had a couple Edgar and Edmund where we came very close but there was something holding them back either Edgar maybe didn't do enough with the strength that he had, Edmund wasn't quite able to win. I don't think either of those apply, but there is something holding me back. Is it just, though, because I think it is just you're not that, familiar with yeah, them as I think much? Yeah, I'm not familiar with them. But I think, actually, what he's done, he's conquered England, yeah. he's got a bit of an empire going, yeah. he rules pretty peacefully when you can contrast with how the Normans are going to treat England, and England is still his priority, so he's very much... And everyone's happy with him. He's pretty much a classic Saxon king, actually. Yeah. He really adapts he's, to he's his He's like Edgar the Peaceful. Hmm. Except he did actually conquer the country. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to give it to him. I think I'm going to give it to him as well. I, I think, think he deserves it. Yeah. And the Vikings get yeah. get a chaff in there at the end of Excellent. the process. So well done. Well done. The Canute. You Yay. have joined Alfred the Great and Athelstan on the Rex Factor Mountain. Your sword is held aloft. You are one of the greats. Well done. Well done. But don't forget your help from my man Edmund. <laughs> Edmund Ironside. Well, he doesn't. No, he doesn't actually, yeah. That's the plus. That's, that's the plus. That's, that's, that's why that's, it pushed him over the edge. There he liked Edmund so yes. much. So well done to Canutes. Um, we'll see. Oh, we've sorry, we've got one more thing we've got to do. It's Prince Watch. This is where, because we've got all these different kings and princes keeping track of who's who, who's in the running to succeed and become a king. Yeah. Right. So Ethelred and Elgafu of York, mm. different one. The last remaining son was Edwig. He's been killed off by Canute. Mm. So mm. no more children from Ethelred's first marriage. Ethelred and Emma, we still have Edward and Alfred, who are exiled in Normandy. And they're potential threats, because they're at the Norman court. Oh, yeah. The Normans trouble, are a little yeah. bit, you know, so they're still there. They're still looking for a chance to come back and claim their throne. Canute and Elgifu of Northampton, we've got Sven, who's just been thrown out of Norway, but he's trying to regain his kingdom. Yeah. And Harold Harefoot, as he's known, mm-hmm. if you liked his hunting, who is in the country right. at the time, as is Elgifu's mother, who's thrown out of Norway. But they're not the ones that promised the crown. Not the ones that promised the crown. The crown is promised to his one and only son by Emma, Harthur Canute. But as we'll see, Harthur Canute has been made king of Denmark. And now that Norway has fallen, there's a problem that Denmark is now trying to either conquer Norway or defend itself against Norway. So Harthur Canute is not in the country at the time that he dies. So next week, we won't be doing Harthur Canute, we'll be doing Harold. Is this agreed? Is this alright? Do they know that list? Well, it might be a bone of contention between the two of them. Right. We'll see all about that next time when we do Harold, but for the moment, goodbye. Cheers. Thanks for listening.